This is Allie Henney, and you're listening to Combing the Roots, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. I'm back, and I'm still black. Keep listening. I'm back and I am still 100% black and I am so excited to be here at season two of Combing the Roots. This is the first episode of the second season. I can't believe it. It's taken forever to get here. I'll talk a little bit about why it took me forever to get here in a moment, but I just want to bask in the fact that we're here. We made it. We, We made it to season two and I'm so excited for you all to hear some of the episodes of this season. My process is a little bit convoluted. My, 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 process of recording episodes is a, is a bit convoluted. And so I tend to record my episodes out of order. So I've actually recorded a lot of episodes already. And then this is one of the the middle or kind of the last episodes that I'm recording. I'm, I'm trying to decide how many episodes I, I'm able to do this season. But I'm really excited for you all to hear. And there's kind of a recurring theme in some of the episodes, but I, I'm not going to park on that theme for forever. But one of the recurring themes of, of this season is being a Black person in predominantly white spaces. And I've been a little bit loath to even to even talk about this, even though this is this is my lived experience. It's just it's just what it is. I grew up in rural Missouri in a predominantly white town, went to college in a predominantly white town. I've the the, the cities and stuff that I've that I've lived in have been predominantly white. And so that's not really been a, a conscious choice on my part. It's just been kind of where I've ended up. And so I have some experiences. And so I have some experiences that I want to share. And actually this episode, the rest of this episode is going to be about a particular experience that that I had and, and some pain that I've experienced. But I'll get into that in, in just a moment. But this se- this season, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you all. I'm going to be talking about being a super minority. So so a concept that I an idea that I've coined, you'll get to learn more about that. And it's and it has to do with being a, a black person in white space. I'm also going to talk about my experiences in education. So my experiences in school, and what it's like to be a black person trying to to learn and to foster your black mind in a predominantly white educational institution. That's something that I'm that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you all about. The next thing that 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 falls along that theme is the quiet exodus. There was a New York Times article that was published a few years ago that talked about white or rather black people leaving white evangelical Christian spaces in the wake of the election of Donald Trump. And so I had the privilege of interviewing one of the ladies who was interviewed for that article. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to share some of that interview with you all and also share some of my thoughts on, on that phenomenon. And I really hope that you all will, will stay tuned and, and, and pay attention to that. But besides that, I'm also I'm, I'm hoping to throw in some stuff, just talking about some of my experiences online with people and, and talking about how, how, you know, don't come for me unless I send for you. I hope to be able to talk about some of this, some of this stuff with uh, with Prince Harry and and Meghan and Meghan Markle. I know that this is like at this point, it's super passe. It's not really in the headlines anymore. But I really feel like that there's some, that there's some stuff that we can get out of this and, and some and some experiences of that, that I just want to talk about. 
I don't know if I'll get to that this season, but we'll but we'll see. But anyway, getting into this episode and and what this episode is about. So it took me about eight months to get to recording this this season or get to get to this point where I'm releasing this season, I guess I should say. And there's a reason for that. So whenever I last left you all, it was with the, the last episode of my first season and it was called It's Above Me Now. And in that episode, I shared very vaguely about some experiences that I that I had. And there was one particular experience that I was extremely vague about. In fact, I was so vague about it that that um, I had a couple different people approach me and be like hey I wish you would have said what it would have happened one of my classmates had had sent me a text message and was like I love the episode but I wish you would have said what happened because I want to know what happened I want to I want to know what's going on and then the other person was my executive producer Bo York I was sitting down in a meeting with him and I have a new producer for the show Bo and Tyler who are the executive producers they're still in the mix but Joshua Heath is actually going to be the producer for the show doing the day-to-day audio editing and stuff for the show I'm super excited for that because I really respect the work that he does on Truth's Table. But anyway, we were having a meeting about this season. And so Bo York, who is, I could gush about him for like 10 minutes because he's really, really super awesome. He's one of my, one of my real life friends. And so he knew what was behind that episode because of course Bo knows. And he is going to hate me for saying that because he hates it whenever people tell, say Bo knows to him. But anyway, he's not editing this episode probably. So he's going to have no idea. But anyway, Bo knew what was going on going on. And so whenever he was listening to this episode and editing it, he was waiting for me to, to, to say and to give more detail about what was happening. And I didn't do that in that episode. So he was like, so whenever this meeting a few weeks ago, he was like, so, you know, now that, that all that, all that's done, like, are you going to talk about it? And I was like, well, you know what? I didn't talk about it and it's above me now because there were relationships and stuff that I wanted to preserve, but all of that has kind of blown up now. And so I guess I should talk talk about it. And so that thing that that I was that I was loath to talk about in It's Above Me Now is that my family we were going through some some difficult experiences at our church. We we were attending a, a multi-ethnic church that was predominantly white in in our city and we had deep roots there. And that's a whole other part of the story. But we had deep roots and deep connections there. And my my family we had started attending there um in 2017. We had attended there years ago. I was on staff there years ago and then uh, my husband and I moved out of state and then whenever we returned back to Missouri we started attending this church again and so whenever we started uh, attending this church again it had become increasingly diverse and they really prided themselves on being the most diverse church in the city and so we we were there and we saw some things that just that just weren't good and um, I'm gonna get into that more in the next segment but ultimately we left we ended up leaving that church and I say that we left but really it was a matter of we could no longer stay and there and we could no longer stay I had experienced some racial bullying white fragility was just rampant it was just it was a, it was a whole entire thing and so because of dealing with that I mean it's some of the issues started in in March of 2019 and things just just kind of different things were going on that just that just kept the stuff kept popping up stuff, stuff kept popping off and it just kind of all kind of reached a climax uh, toward the end of August of, of last year and I just we, we were like we can't we can no longer stay here and so 
during that time, it, there was a, I, I cried a lot of tears, just dealt was was dealing with being in a, in a lot of different meetings over some incidents that had happened, sending emails, sitting down with with friends and, and, and talking about what was going on and trying to figure seeking counsel, trying to figure out what what I should and, and shouldn't do. And should I stay or should I go and just everything else. And, and that that took a that took a toll. I mean, it, it really it really took a toll. I gained, I gained like 20 pounds during that time it wasn't all because of of that I, I gained I'll say that I gained like maybe 10 pounds and 15 pounds um because of some of the some of the fallout of of that but then um it it, it we had to find a new place to worship and it was just it, it was just a whole entire thing and so it it affected me and it, and it affected the, the the production of this podcast and so but I'm here and so I'm going to tell the story in in the next segment so I hope that you'll stay tuned but before I before I sign off for this segment, I want to I want to just say that that even though this is a story about the church, it, I hope that people that the black folks that it, I feel like that it applies to a lot more context in the church. So I hope that you'll that you'll keep listening, even if church isn't your thing, even if that's not that that's not that's not your bag, that's not that's not your context. I hope that you'll keep listening because I feel like that that I'm that I'm speaking that I'll be speaking to some experiences that we've all had in in certain contexts. So stay tuned. <laughs> segment I talked about what you can expect from this season of Combing the Roots and I also shared that my family kind of was going through some difficulty that really it halted the production of this season and it was just very personally difficult for us. So in this segment I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But before I do that, I want to offer some disclaimers or apologies, or I don't really know what it is, but I just feel like that I need to say a few things before I actually talk about the thing. First of all, you might be listening to this and you might be somebody that church isn't your thing. Like you don't go to church, you really don't have any connection to any type of faith community or anything like that. And you could be like, why would I care about a story about people in church? What I hope that you're able to get from this is that first of all, I mean, white supremacy is everywhere, including places of worship, but that it's something that can be applied. It's something, these situations, these, these, uh, these, these incidents, these, these experiences can be generalized to a lot of different different contexts. So white supremacy is going to happen, whether it's a church, whether it's a school, whether it's some sort of social club, or even a person's job, or heck, even if you're in an interracial relationship, sometimes you have to deal with white supremacy in your family. And so it's one of those things that is ubiquitous. And I think that just because church is the context, it doesn't, it doesn't erase kind of what we can get out of it. And so what I'm hoping is that my experiences, even though it is in the context of the church, that maybe somebody is listening and you've had similar types of experiences and you'll be able to to kind of have language for what you've experienced or just even hearing somebody else talk about something that you've experienced. For me, that that is always great to hear somebody else talk about it and to, to kind of hear how they got through it or kind of hear how they're how they're processing it is always helpful for me. So I hope that this is helpful for for people who've had these experiences. I also hope that if it that if it helps one black person to be able to get out of a situation that might be toxic or to be able to recognize a situation that's toxic I, I hope that it does that 
with that said, I also feel a little bit of, of shame, a little bit of trepidation. I have a lot of big feelings. Uh, that's why I tell my, my kids, like, they have feelings. It's like, oh, you have you have some big feelings. So I have some big feelings about talking about this. First of all, it feels really, really super petty to get on a microphone and to talk about this type of incident. It just it just feels really super petty. I mean, I, I've blogged about it a little bit. You know, I've talked about it on, on Twitter a little bit, but it feels really, really petty to hop on a microphone. It feels like it makes it feel bigger than and I don't want to say bigger than what it is, but it makes it feel like, oh man, I'm like, I'm taking it to the streets. I'm like, actually, to actually say words out loud rather than typing them. It, it feels like a huge step. And so I, and so I feel shame. I feel different things about that because I don't want anybody to see this as like, oh, look at Allie. She's over here trying to get her come up off of, off of this incident that happened. Because that's, that's not, I mean, 99.999% of the people who listen to this podcast would, if I named the church, which I'm not going to do, if I named the leader, which I'm not going to do, if I were to name the pastor, name different people in this incident, nobody would know who they were. Like 99.99% of the people who listen to this podcast. So it, it, there's really no benefit to naming names. So I'm not going to name names. But and and you know, in some ways, it's like, why why should we care? And I kind of named the, the why should we care aspect of it earlier. But I think that it, it's difficult to to kind of speak up and to kind of name my own experience in this way, because of a lot of the uh, the implications of talking about something like this, of not wanting people to think that I'm treating it as a come up, of not wanting to to potentially affect people who remained in that situation, because there, because even though most of the people who listen to this podcast don't know me in any type of way, they're not local to me. There are people who are local. There are people who would be able to name the church. There are people who might be at that church. I mean, I know that there there, there are people who listen who listen to this podcast who attend that church, um, the, who are who have listened to this podcast. I don't know if they're like regular listeners but I definitely know that they've listened to it because I've gotten positive feedback from them from it and so I think about well like what happens if somebody you know hears oh Allie's on here talking about what happened at this church and and just what that could what that could mean and so I, I hope in, in my, my, my desire isn't to air dirty laundry and I actually really hope for reconciliation in this and I hope that maybe maybe hearing me talk about racism and, and talking about the racism in the situation will will op- sharing my perspective will open people's eyes and maybe even open up the door for reconciliation. So with that said, here's my story. So my husband and I had actually been connected to this church for several years. I was on staff there for a while, and then my husband and I moved out of state, but we remained connected to the church, and, and there were people that, that attended the church that we still uh, were connected to on social media, thought very highly of the pastor, very highly of many of the leaders that we knew there, and it was it was our church home. And so whenever we moved back to Missouri, we decided to start attending there. The church had drastically changed even during our time at, at attending this church but it had become increasing had changed even more drastically and had become increasingly diverse during the time when we were living out of state so I was excited at first to start attending this church again first of all just the sentimental the sentimental uh, the sentimentality I can't talk the uh, sentimental aspects of of being able to be at this church again uh, for our paths to be able to cross that was something that was that was great but then also just to be able to be at a church with people who looked like me and to be able to be at a church that I, that I cared about where there were people who looked like me. It was just a, an experience that I was that I was looking forward to. But 
as soon as I actually ended up in the context and ended up in the situation, I started to have a lot of questions and my excitement started to kind of turn to a little bit of skepticism and a little bit of fear and a little bit of, uh, of a lot of different feelings. The thing is, is that while this church, it, it would, the, the leaders and, and everybody pride, they pride themselves on being the most diverse church in our city. Our, ch- our city is not very diverse at all. And so in some ways, yeah, it is a feat for them to have attracted the the amount of black people that that they attracted um at this at this church it it definitely i think that they that they were doing something right in that respect but what i realized is that although there were a lot of black people there although there are a lot of black bodies black minds black black culture black existence wasn't really welcome it it wasn't it wasn't fully welcomed like like the 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 full embodiment of blackness wasn't welcome in that space certainly yes blackness was used to season it was used to put seasoning on stuff it was it was used as as a marketing tool so using black slang and black vernacular as a marketing tool or using using blackness and, and black culture kind of as a way to kind of be like oh look we're cool hip and relevant but outside of that black people were kind of expected to 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 kind of be in a box and for me I'm somebody that I that I think that it's so important for black people to be our most authentic selves and to be free and I could see that we were in this situation and we were not free we black people were not really free at this church and as much as I, I continue to be my authentic self or to try to be my most authentic self, I struggled. I struggled because I was looking over my shoulder because I knew I I had heard stories from people in the church of even the lead pastor going to black leaders and and kind of criticizing them for their social media for their social media presence and 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 kind of you know saying like like kind of trying to police that and kind of trying to to rein people in. I I had heard different stories. I had, I had witnessed even different things on social media. I had seen white fragility just ramp and I had seen where people were existing in this in this space of kind of this this uh, pride of proximity, where white people were happy to be proximate to black people. They were happy that, that black people were there. We were welcome, all this stuff. But at the same time, we were, we were welcome, but white people weren't willing to work on their whiteness. They weren't willing to work on their racism. I did see an evolution in this church, a very minuscule evolution where they became, where some of the leaders became a little bit more comfortable talking about race and, and realized that, that some of the thing realized that they, that they needed to take a, a better and a stronger stance against racism. But a lot of the, the ethos, a lot of what was undergirding that was still white fragility. So it was still about centering white people's feelings over black people's dignity and that dog just doesn't hunt you can't do anti-racism while still wanting to make white people feel comfortable like that's just that's that's not ever going to work and I had the opportunity to be able to speak into this a little bit because I had experienced some racial bullying at the church and it and I could go into some of the details um, of this incident but for the sake of time I will just say that a leader in the church approached me in in my inbox a couple of different times and said some things that were very that were very biting it was it was just it was a traumatic experience and because of their position in the church it was it was a position of intimidation honestly like they they were they were a leader they were my direct leader in a ministry that I was that I was in and it just it created um 
it created a sense of, of apprehension in me, even about being in that space. And I had actually, uh, one, the first incident had happened immediately before I had actually started my internship at another, at another church. So there was a year where I was uh, helping to plant another, another church as part of my seminary education. And so then the uh, second incident happened in the time whenever I was reflecting on whether or not I wanted to come back to the church. And so it, it created in me kind of the sense of, of apprehension about returning to the church because it was like if people are going to act like this like if it, if I'm, I'm being called divisive I'm being told just all these different things about myself and if this is okay for leaders to do then like I don't think that I want to be in the space and so that happened and then there was another incident where um, there was somebody in the church who had posted something just horribly racist online and it had affected a lot of people and she had told like 50 11 different stories as to why and how it had even happened and it was just it was just a thing and so kind of in in this context so some of these things just happened like within within weeks of one another within months of of one another and so I I had been in some meetings about the about the racial bullying thing and had been able to kind of speak into um speak into what the church needed to do and how they needed to do better and some things that I had, uh, had observed and experienced during my time there. But then there, with this other incident, I also had the opportunity to sit down with the lead pastor. There was a group of black women that sat down with the lead pastor and talked about this, talked about the incident of the person posting something uh, racist online. And um, within that context, the the lead pastor there's so much defensiveness there was so much white fragility it just was not it was not a good scene and then uh we had one meeting that just was was difficult and then the second meeting was also difficult there was just one of the ugliest things that i've, that I've ever seen probably the, the ugliest thing that i've ever seen in a church context was when the pastor basically attacked this black woman who had simply asked him what his vision for the church was in this respect in terms of race and and so he basically snaps on this woman with just pops off on, on her with a bunch of gossip that he had heard about her and kind of how she had felt about the church and, and all this other stuff. And it was it was ugly. It was not OK. He, he called her angry and unapproachable. It was it was rife with misogynoir. And I was not OK with it. And and I was attempted to confront it in the moment but because just the situation I I, I don't want to spend so too much time um on on this because I because I want to get to to more of of what happened more of more of the story but it was just it was one of the situations that was just that was an ugly situation I did my best that I could to advocate for my friend in the situation and it ended up my friend ended up getting kicked out the church my friend didn't do anything to deserve to get get kicked out the church but she got kicked out the church and whenever I tried to talk to the pastor about this because mostly I was literally trying to understand what why they were getting kicked out the church because it didn't it didn't make sense and he wouldn't explain and it wasn't one of the situations where it was like you know a personnel type of thing where you where they couldn't talk about it it was a decision of like we're not going to talk about it because because it, it would make me look bad to talk about it and so I'm just the type of person that's like if you're going to act like a cat that's covering up your crap in a litter box and that is a huge problem and so it wasn't even just that like he didn't want to talk to me about it he instructed other leaders not to talk to me about it and once again this wasn't a personnel issue the people who were who were 
getting kicked out of the church they were volunteers so it wasn't it wasn't anything like that like oh we you know we can't disclose this information it was they were choosing not to disclose the information and so that there's a whole day I've been in church I've worked in churches long enough to know how this type of stuff works and I know that that he could have that there were things that he could have said and we and I and we, I can't lie. I mean, we we if, if he if he had been able to explain the decision to kick them out of the church, and, and it, I, I knew that it was ratchet. But if there was something that I didn't know, some other factor that I didn't know, some other element that I was missing, I was willing to be like, okay, there's something that something else I don't know, and I was willing to try to hang. But whenever you are gonna try to cover something up, like it's like I can't I can't hang, and whiteness does that. I use the analogy of a cat in the litter box covering up his crap. But the truth is, is that this is something that whiteness does. Whiteness can't handle being wrong. And so whenever white people do a racism, whiteness covers it up. Whiteness says, oh, well, you know, you didn't really mean to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't really, it was, it was actually that person's fault. If they, if they would have done this, or if they hadn't have said that, or if it hadn't have been whatever. And so there's, there's always a, an effort to try to, to try to mitigate and to try to make what happened look like it was less than what it was. And to try to make the white people look like the victims or to try to make the white people look like they didn't really do anything wrong and whenever I saw that the, I, I couldn't hang and honestly you know I, I lost a, a lot if, if not all respect for the for the institution for for the leaders that that were involved in in that and it's difficult and it's something that my family we've had to manage that that loss and we've had to walk through that so in the next segment I, I want to talk about recovering and and coming through some of these types of incidents and 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 how we can can be better and and do better and and live better for ourselves as black folks stay tuned segment I talked about my experience of leaving my church and why I left my church and there are so many details I I just I didn't want to sit and talk about this thing for like 20 or 30 minutes because there's there's so many details I left out there's so much detail that I wish I could go into to illustrate what happened and it just is just just to show just how how horrible the situation was but it was something that it, it was it affected me a lot. It, it, just being real and, and honest here, it, it affected me a lot. And first of all, just from the from the sentimental angle, of, this was like my church home. You know, this was these were these were people that that you know I, I grew up in the black church, and but but this is uh, the, this this particular group of people, this particular church, it, it meant something to me. Even though it was a predominantly white context, you know, the, the pastor, different leaders, different people, they had become family in a in a way, and and I. I guess that I thought that they valued me and and valued 
and valued people valued black people more than what is apparent from the situation and I'm sure that there's people that would argue with me and that would be like oh but blah 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 blah. but it was just really really clear from the situation that that my friend first of all that that there that there wasn't value for her and that there wasn't value for me and that there wasn't value for for the history that that I had with the pastor and with the and with the organization and it was one of those instances where you just realized that you can't stay and so in realizing that I couldn't stay there were a lot of tears shed there were a lot of there were a lot of you know sitting on on my friend's front porch on her porch swing and and drinking Starbucks and I guess it wasn't really Starbucks it was local local coffee house they do think I brought Starbucks one time but anyway um there's a lot of just drinking coffee and a lot of a lot of staying up late a lot of late nights processing this with with my husband a lot of days eating eating donuts with one of my friends who brought me donut who brings me donuts whenever I have a bad day and I had a lot of bad days and I gained like 10 15 pounds because of this because of of some of it not just from eating donuts but just from like I don't have time to to do anything else, so I'm gonna order Uber Eats because I'm I'm tired, I'm 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 incapacitated. I just I just am, am struggling. It was it was a loss, and it was and there was a lot of grief. That and, and in some ways I I still grieve that situation. And so then having to find another place of worship and having to walk through that with my children. So my my girls are um, at the at the time they were five and two, and so having to walk through that with them particularly my oldest who really really enjoyed the kids ministry there and and having to to kind of walk through her with with managing that loss and so then my family we decided to start worshiping at an episcopal church and so uh this is this was a change that that was coming i i am in seminary and ministry is my vocation and it's something that one day i hope to to lead and pastor a church and so i'll have to talk about my my journey into the Episcopal Church um, some other time but basically it was something that was that was going to happen anyway but I thought after seminary um, that 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 would be a good kind of logical time to, to transition but it seemed like that process was sped up so we started uh, worshiping at the Episcopal Church in our neighborhood and so the Episcopal Church is definitely different than our than our little uh, non-denominational church and they do children's ministry a little bit different. So having to kind of manage that with, with my kids, and it's been a positive experience overall, but just having to manage that, that loss and having to deal with the loss of relationships. There definitely are people that I still keep in touch with from, from that church. Thankfully, they're, they're still friends. Um, who, one of my, one of my friends from, from, from there came to my, uh, confirmation in the Episcopal church. And that was something that meant a lot. I've, I've had friends that have shown up and have supported me in a lot of ways. And that's, and that's really been, that's really been a positive thing. But at the same time, there's also been a loss. There's been loss of, of relationship with people that I really, that I really liked and that I really respected. But the, but unfortunately, the way that some of these institutions, the way that some of these churches work is you are friends with people, but you're kind of, you don't have object permanence. They don't have object permanence for you. Like once you leave and why I mean by object permanence, if you don't know what that is, is that it's like, like realizing that something exists, even though it's not in front of you, um, you'll have to Google it to learn a little bit more about it. But like sometimes people don't have object permanence for you. And so like you, you leave these contexts and so then you kind of mourn the, the loss of 
of that. You mourn the moss, the, the you mourn the loss of place. Also, you you mourn um, if you if you're a leader in the context, you you mourn the loss of I'm going from from being a leader and from and from having a name and from being known to I have to start all over again in an, in another place in another context and that's something that can that can be difficult um there's also you know for me because it wasn't just the incident with the massage noir it was also processing this this incident with somebody that the the leader in the church that that was a friend that the, the person who bullied me was my friend and i and i and she was somebody that, that that i valued that i respected her family had a lot of place i value on her on her family and really respected them and it just is all of a sudden like this person, this person is erasing me from, from her life. And that was, that was difficult. And there's, and I've, and I've had to kind of deal with little things that kind of bring, bring those incidents to mind. And so it's been, it's been managing that. And what I realize is that a lot of times for us, whenever we leave these types of situations or we can no longer stay in these types of situations or we're in these types of situations and we're kind of stuck because it's our job or we're kind of stuck because it's our, our educational institution or we're or we're kind of stuck because of, of different relationships or whatever, though that, that can be a, a difficult dynamic to, to have to, to deal with and it can be something that, that's difficult to manage. And so, and so how do we do that? And I feel like that it is important that we take care of ourselves. I think that, you know, self-care, and I actually have an episode this season talking about self-care, and the, the title is Where Your Bonnet Grease Your Scalp, and you'll have to listen to that episode and, and learn a little bit more about, about that. Not that you need to learn about how to wear your bonnet and grease your scalp, but just kind of my ethos whenever, whenever it comes to doing those things. But I realize that we, we have to practice self-care. Self-care is an act of resistance. And we 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 have to take care of ourselves. Because the thing is is that these white institutions, they will run you into the ground. They they will take and they will take and they will take and they will take. But they often don't give us very much back, if anything back. And it's hard and that's a hard truth that I think that to to swallow that it's like you give you give your your life to a job and it's not just a white I mean it's not just like a white institution thing there's there's a lot of people that talk about how just anybody on their job you give to a job you give to a corporation and they really don't care about you but I think that that as a that as a black person in a a white dominated institution there's there's another level to it because it's not just that they're taking from you and you're being dehumanized kind of in just kind of that rote type of way but like you're being it's whenever you're dealing with racism it's like it's an attack on your humanity that it makes the place inhospitable so it's one thing to be on a job and to be making money and like yeah you know that you're just a cog in the corporate wheel and it's whatever but it's a totally different thing whenever your dignity is being assaulted uh, on a regular basis in this in that space and whenever it's your place of worship your your worship community that it's that it's a it's a family it's a it's a thing that you you're opening yourself up 
to to be able to to receive from from your the, the person that you're worshiping and so in my case i'm a christian and i and i believe that 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 you know jesus is there and and, and he's present with us whenever we worship and so you're 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 there and you're opening yourself up in, in an intimate way to people and you're opening yourself up and you're experiencing such an intimate thing and then to have people kind of crap on that and to kind of like treat you badly in that it really creates like a, a deep wound it creates a deep sense of of hurt and pain and so we we have to guard ourselves and I think that and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the black exodus episode or the uh, quiet exodus episode actually it's not the black exodus it could be called that though um but I'll talk about that a little bit more in in and talk about this a little bit more in that episode but I I really feel like that whenever we we open ourselves up and we put ourselves in these white spaces that and worship white worship spaces that we are that we in in uh, I don't want to say that we're asking to be hurt. That's I, I don't want to make I don't want to victim blame in that in that type of way. But what I'm saying is that whenever we put ourselves in those spaces, we have to expect for this to happen to us. I just really think that we have to almost expect for this to happen to us. Now, I will say that this doesn't always have to be the case. It doesn't always have to be the case in in, in predominantly white worship spaces. There there are people that that really are working and really are trying to do their best. And that doesn't mean that you don't ever experience racism. It doesn't mean that you don't ever have to deal with with toxic whiteness, but something that that was that was positive for me during this particular incident was the relationship that I had with the the internship site with the place that I, the church that I had helped plant is this was a place that was a space that was predominantly white but it was a, it was a, just a very different mindset the people there were of a different mindset it didn't mean that I didn't have instances I didn't have experiences that were difficult that I had to that I had to walk through and some things that were just that that were that were hard to have to walk through but what I felt like with the leadership and with some of my coworkers is I felt a sense of safety with them. And that doesn't mean that they couldn't ever say or do anything off or, or out of pocket, but it is so different to be around people who are working on themselves and who recognize that, that they have the ability to do something wrong and hurtful. And whenever you are around people that they might not be perfect, but, and this is, and this is anybody, this is black, white, whatever. But I think especially with, with white people, whenever you can be around white people that are that are working on their racism it doesn't mean that they're not ever going to screw up but it means that that they are at least like willing to, to hear you some of the time that is that that's such a that's such a different space to be in and so you know really what I've what I've come to realize is that we have to be so super intentional to put ourselves in black space and whether that's black worship spaces, whether that is in black clubs and black organizations, we have to be intentional to to be in places that are going to build us up and not tear us down. This has been Combing the Roots. Special thanks to producer Joshua Heath and executive producers Tyler Burns and Bo York. Catch up with what I'm doing on these internet streets by visiting AllieHenny.com. There you'll be able to connect to my Twitter feed, my Instagram, and my Facebook writers page. Combing the Roots is powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. 
I'm your host, Allie Henney. Peace.